You are listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Today, we are talking about the finale of season one. It is kind of emotional, but I'm also kind of excited because it means we have five more seasons in front of us. This episode is called I Dream of Jeannie Cusimano. The air date was April 4th, 1999. It was written by David Chase and directed by John Patterson. HBO synopsis. In the season one finale, Tony is stunned to discover that the attempt on his life may have been ordered by someone very close to him. Later, he must deal with the fact that everyone knows he's seeing a shrink. Christopher is sent to take care of Jimmy Altieri. I thought that last sentence was a little random. Like they were kind of like rushed to get the synopsis out. and They just mentioned Christopher. The title, you guys are all aware, I Dream of Jeannie. That's what it's a nod to. Sure. It's so simple, but so elegant. Yeah. I just didn't really get how this ties into the finale and what goes on. Neither did I. Internet fodder suggests that maybe there was more to the episode and that there might have been a, a writer's joke that tied in directly to the 1965 show, but maybe it got cut and that they just kept the title. Yeah. There's... A lot of people try to ponder it, but everybody recognizes the disconnect because yeah. it's really you don't even see Jeannie Cusimano. No. So, in yeah. that, so you so. think you think maybe there was a flashback or not a flashback, but a, a cutscene that uh, like a poly reference, some joke that would was made or offset. That's an interesting take. Yeah, for me it was like way simpler. I just thought I thought it was a sign of respect. David Chase has just finished the first season of his opus. Hmm. And he's giving a nod to the history of TV before him. And it was kind of his way to like connect those two dots. That's all. That's what came into my head. I thought maybe because so much happens in this episode that let's just call it that. Like it's, it was like a light, like why not pick this like a silly, really soft title that makes no sense in a way. Because there's so much going on that, I mean, you could have called it so many other things. That yeah. maybe something so light, like I dream of Jeannie Cusimano. Like, I can yeah. see that. Let's just call it that. That yeah, makes you know? the most sense to me because yeah. it really doesn't have any like application to yeah. it. Yeah. I have a quick topic. There's a driving sequence about maybe three quarters of the episode through where you see Tony's eyes and brow in the rearview mirror. Do you guys see the relationship to the intro, the the opening credits? Yes. Did you did you see the parallel? I did. So I loved how they homaged the intro that we've been watching for 13 times and they incorporated it into the show. The bridge he's driving on, in case you want to reenact that moment on a rainy day, is called the Whitpen Bridge. It reminded me of all those train scenes that we talk about. What, what, when did that scene happen? What happened right before it? I forget. The train? Yeah, or the, the one that he was driving, the one we're talking about. Uh, is this someone going to get... No. The, he, I, I think he was on the way to, to put the pillow on Livia. Okay. I think it was that that moment. It was right before he had the scene with Livia. It was very good. Um, topic A, Jimmy. Jimmy Altieri. Rest in peace. We had three whackings payback for all the episodes where we wanted something to happen and nothing did, right? Totaling so, 15 uh, total deaths in the season. In the season? 15. Mm-hmm. 15. Actually, it sounds like a lot more than I would have expected. Yeah. That count includes people that died naturally, too. Okay. Including the the wake from last episode? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um. The key moments, just to set this discussion up, Jimmy's sit-down, which I have a bunch of questions about, and then his dead man walking moment, that obviously it was unbeknownst to him, but you know, the, 
his little walk to his execution. Yeah. That's a throwback to that movie that I love from back in the day with Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn. Two stylistic and technical observations that have questions in them, and I wanted to see if you guys caught this. The scene with Jimmy and Christopher was kind of West Wingy to me. And what I mean by that is it was a walk and talk montage across multiple sceneries. So you got the elevator, you've got the corridors, and you've got the entryways. Is that kind of reachy? Or do you feel me on that? Reachy in what way? <laughs> that was around the same time that the West Wing was out. Was he trying to showcase his his ability to Aaron Sorkin the moment in uh, David Chase language? Okay, fine. It's a reach. That's a reach. Um, yeah. We got the Rockford files over here. <laughs> the first scene we see in the show is the outside of Satrials. And this is my thought for you guys, okay? And someone told me this a long time ago, and I'm, and I'm bringing it to air now. We see Satrials from that low off angle establishing shot regularly, okay? It's kind of like how they want you to see Satrials or think of Satrials before you enter it, right? So to me, it, it represents two things. The beauty of otherwise ordinary regular things when looked at from different perspectives. So if you look at something that you see every day and you look at it from a different angle, it has a certain beauty to it. But this is the theory that I like, that I want to share with you guys. Someone once told me that Satriel's view is from the vantage point of a fed surveillance camera inside a street gutter. What do you guys think about that? Why were Polly and Silvio outside and not involved in the meeting, in the sit down with Jimmy? That's a captain's meeting. Hmm. They're not captains? They're not captains yet. Not yet. Tony's so, the captain. Was Mikey Palmisi in that meeting, though? Because I had the same yeah. response. He was in that meeting. meeting. So I'm like, he why right is Mikey... He junior. He's a junior's left. Yeah. Maybe he's junior's note taker. I thought they already knew, so they, they were just kind of keeping watch. Like, they've already... They maybe knew... Just, maybe somebody stands outside yeah. and watch guard yeah, for, for they, like, cops or something? Yeah, Tony already talked to them, like, this is what I think is happening. I'm going to tell them what I think. I just felt like this. This is how I felt. Mostly for Silvio, not for Paulie. Mm. But like if Tony's in a meeting, you need your consigliere with you. That's I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he's a consigliere because I yeah. think the consigliere is somebody that's directly tied to the boss of the family. And if Tony's just a capo, I don't think capos have consiglieres. Maybe I'm wrong. Somebody fact check this and send no, us no, an no. Angry I, I like it. I just I just noticed it. I thought it was awkward. There were yeah. two of them sitting out there, but there was like shit going down. So, so Johnny Sack can be like, I remember when you uh, two used to stay in the car. Junior mentioned Jimmy's concerns. What were Jimmy's concerns? Re, re, I think the remind con- me. Yeah, the concerns were just a disguise for him to get information for the FBI. They were just his method of trying to bring up a conversation that they already had that would incriminate them in some way. Because didn't he say he called the meeting, right? Yeah, Jimmy called to the address meeting. some concerns so that they can rehash whatever. The indictments. That, yeah. That's yeah. what they yeah. were discussing. What I what I found interesting about that was Junior and Tony, obviously I think Tony is suspecting Junior of being the person that put out the hit on him. They they have a shared enemy, so they still go together, and Tony still needs the okay from Junior. The pecking order is still intact, even though there's all of this friction between them, and there was a hit out on Tony from Junior. I think that it's confirmed that that Jimmy's a rat at this point, right? There's no more... We never, ever get the satisfaction of knowing, though. I I think once he's called out for being a rat by Silvio... He doesn't deny And then he says, mother of God. He he knows that he's been caught. And that's that's the confirmation for me. Yeah. I agree. I also 
thought it was nice to see that Junior and Tony still got along in that moment. Like when when it comes down to business, they you could sense that it still worked. Like it, I don't know. It seemed a little. They had a moment. Yeah, they had a moment. It was nice to see that they could still do that in some way. Junior felt good giving him the okay. Yeah. yeah. And Tony received it nicely. Yeah. It um, felt genuine though. It felt genuine. Yeah. So it's great when your uncle gives you permission to kill somebody, <laughs> isn't it? It's a nice hey, that's, it. that's actually a really big moment for Chris, if you think about it. That's a How stepping so? stone. He's he's taken out a captain. Oh. He's oh, part gotcha. of taking out a, someone who's a captain. He's entrusted enough in the family to be able to carry out something like that. Whereas in the past, he thought he was supposed to get his button for killing Email Kolar. This is a bigger. This, this is, is a, a much a big fish. bigger deal. He's taking out an informant that's a capo. It's a good observation, and he does it. He does it pretty smoothly. Yeah, he yeah. executes it pretty well. I want to say one thing about the murder scene. I'm a, um, I've become notorious for the art references, right? Okay. So I want to make another art reference to the immediate frame right after uh, Jimmy is shot. You see the blood splatter on that turquoise lamp. It immediately reminded me of a Paul Cezanne ordinary object painting. Mm. Are any of you guys familiar with Paul Cezanne? He is notorious, not notorious, he's well known for painting like bowls of fruit and Mm. uh, tables, like table settings with stuff on it. And there's one painting in particular called Still Life with a Skull in Fruit. And that's what I thought of immediately after Silvio shoots Jimmy. You can swap the skull out for Jimmy's hunched over torso. And I'm going to post this on the gram. I have one of, you know, my little, um, have you noticed that by the way? Yes, I have. Yeah, so I'm going to post this and I'm going to field questions from the audience. But I really think that these are all art references and they're not accidental. Well, I also saw art reference, but I was Jackson Pollock. Okay. Oh, dude. I didn't even think about that. That was even more obvious. That's so funny. That's actually a great, that's a mashup of... If Paul Cezanne and Jackson Pollock hung out together and had a couple of drinks, that is what that is what the painting would look Literally like. Literally mind blown. Yeah. Literally, that is like the emoji like four times. Okay, mind blown. I don't know how right you guys there. are seeing art. I was just like, are those brains on the light? There is yeah, there is discussion ugh. about the inaccuracy between the two different times you see that frame because the blood splatter is different. Yes. I noticed that. And also, you would imagine that there would be chunks of brain. Yes. But the exit wound, if you look at Jimmy's face when he's laying out with the rat in his mouth, the exit wound is on his upper cheek. I noticed that finally for like the 15th time that yeah. I've seen that too. I was, I was still stuck on big tits and little feet. I was just going to say that. I was, um, I, I, it, that's all it takes. Our uh, <laughs> Sopranos Graham fan and uh, Howard Stern uh, alumni or yeah. regular uh, asked a question about the body of Jimmy. He was asking us if we thought uh, it was a dummy or like a prosthetic Jimmy. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Do you think that was the actor with like a prosthetic rat in his mouth or was the whole thing a prosthetic? As we know from the interview with Emil Kolar with Bruce Molinoff, he was wrapped up in the body bag. So I don't think it was a stuffed animal. What do you think? I think sometimes they make doubles of lots of characters. Even for fittings, they make fake like the actual size of the characters to do dummies, but I don't know. He look, it looked pretty real. It it's hard to real. know. I think they used the Vermont teddy bear for Jimmy. <laughs> so <laughs> on, on the same point, do you remember the Vin McKazian jumping off the bridge scene? Mm-hmm. The pullback frame when he falls over, it's very clearly a different human being. It's a stunt double. They didn't even try to make it look like John Hurd. They just insert any human being into the suit. The suit was too big for the, <laughs> for the, for the it wasn't tailored. It was just like, what? So Jimmy's wired up, you guys. Okay, that's the consensus. He should, in my opinion, be naturally suspicious 
about outlier events. Like, hey, you're sitting at your house, you're flipping channels, and all of a sudden Christopher Moltisanti calls you and is like, hey, let's go, let's go, let me, let me take you out, out for a night. Yeah. Yeah. He thought enough to carry, though, yeah. which was the curious thing. Any disconnect there for you guys? Any thoughts on that? I'm more concerned with the fact that if I was in their position, I'd constantly be looking over my shoulder, especially if I'm a rat. I'm always going to be paranoid and thinking somebody's going to come after me. If anybody's a rat in that family, you got to be looking over your shoulder constantly and have eyes in the back of your head. There's no way that you can have any sense of security if you're speaking to the federal government. You think of the three kills, and it's all strategic. They hit the guy with the boat out in the water. They hit Mikey on his routine run in the woods. And Altieri's weakness was probably women. That's what I going to say, yeah. I think they all carry all the time. Like, yeah, I think ev- all of them have a gun. It's like, like a wallet. Yeah. yeah. I, and they're always, like, little in a weird spot. But I think he probably, if there's any time where he forgot that he's in trouble, it's like, oh, cool, I'm going to go hang out with these pretty Russian ladies. So it's just I just thought about it because we know how paranoid Tony is. So I would imagine that would extend to the people, members mm. of his other family. The same scene we're talking about, right before Christopher, right before they enter the room, Christopher looks distantly at something. You see it just for a moment. You see Christopher look just past Jimmy, and I suspect that's him giving Silvio the nod to, like, hide in the back room. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair reach? I think so. I missed that. You missed it? Look again. I framed it, and I framed it, and I framed it, and I framed it, and I framed it for the gram, and I finally (laughs) got the one that I was happy with. Your gram game has stepped up on the uh, Pada Bing Instagram. I have to, man. Look, so what the Instagram is, it's an extension of my notes for the show. Okay. I didn't do it before. I have have all these notes for all the episodes, but I I don't know how to use Instagram. So I finally was like, there's this tool that uh, Justin and I talked about that I'm using that is basically helping me schedule the posts. On Sunday night when I'm researching for the show, I can do all of my posts and then just have them come out like one per day or whatever. And you don't have to I don't ever have to look at them? it again. They just come out for it you? It just comes out for you. What? It's I'll, a game changer. It's a game changer. <sighs> yes, yeah. please. It's amazing. It's amazing. So that's why it stepped up. So um, rest in peace, Jimmy. Let's move on to Livia. Livia, obviously, is this, as we've learned, is the centerpiece of all this that's going on. We've suspected it from the beginning, mm-hmm. but now it's official. Tony hears her on tape. Is she still faking it? I don't know. I'm really confused. The more I watch this, the more confused I got, honestly, of knowing where she's at or what's going on. The Satimia thing? Every, yeah, everything. I was like, one time I'd watch, and I'd be like, she's, she knows. And the next time I'd be like, she doesn't know. So you're in the camp of you. You're, I'm you're, not sure. You're not sure. So, so, yeah. Is she so faking the stroke? She, is she, she faking? Sa- she says, I can't stay in this house, not while this facha bruta is here. Which is ugly face. That's okay. That's what it means. Yeah, it's it's really hard to tell. The My initial impression was that, yeah, she's obviously faking it. Junior even calls her out on it. But what what really sold it to me was her repeating herself with Artie. She brings up Artie's mother multiple times, and he's visibly saddened by it. And you can tell that she kind of likes Artie, in a, in a sense. I, I mean, I don't know if she really likes anybody, but you can tell that she at least has some positive rapport with him. She loves Johnny Boy. He's a saint. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what, and then I started thinking, and maybe you know more about this, like, you know, I said distress bring out a stroke like what is she if she is suffering from something she would go back and forth from reality and not because there are moments where she's super with it and then other moments where she's not even when she looked at AJ you could really tell she had no I thought she had no clue who he was and then finally 
she like snapped out of her yeah. days. Like I believed her in that moment. Like, oh man. In in Isabella in the previous episode, you're almost a hundred percent certain that it's a scam, that it's a fake, and in this episode, you you see the case for it being a little bit more legitimate. I, I go back to what I was saying with, with Artie. She keeps bringing it up, and he's visibly upset, and she brings it up again, and it doesn't look like it's something that's methodical. It looks like she just really forgot that she just brought it up, and it was very organic. So I, I go back and forth on that, but I, I kind of wind up in the camp that, that it's a little bit more real than than we initially get shown. Because she had a stroke, you know, also yeah. then she gets, you know. The ambiguity theme sort of plays in again with this, and there's definitely a a blur. Um, but I wonder the same thing about Olivia, because if it was all an act of convenience or the dementia actually setting in, and not to excuse her, but if if that did play a role in the actions of her actually trying to kill her son, do you think... That's a possibility too. Like she, her deterioration mm. of her mind, maybe that could be to blame for. What if that's what caused all of this? Maybe she was somewhat demented and she didn't really want her son to get killed because she doesn't, she, she confirms Junior's request in sort of an omitting fashion. She doesn't really say do it, he says something, and she kind of coyly says, oh, I shouldn't be talking. Maybe she really means, oh, what did I just say? And she's yeah. sincere. Maybe that's a completely different angle that, that we're not really taking into consideration. Yeah. I do have one story that I found ripped from the headlines. In early July of this year, a 92-year-old woman was arrested in the death of her 72-year-old son. Authorities say that it's because she was afraid he was going to put her in a nursing home. Anime blessing. It's a retirement community. <laughs> so art imitating life and life imitating art, that's crazy. We're going to talk about the FBI tapes momentarily, but I want to just throw this out at you guys and see what you think. We hear those tapes, Olivia's on them, and they're in multiple locations. There's, she's, it's in her room. It's in the common area. I think there's one, there's a scene in a corridor. My idea and my question is, is she faking it as a way to sell the fact that she's wired for sound, that she has actually been the one who has been wired, that the FBI approached her and said, we want to wire you, we don't want to wire Greengrove? What do you guys think of that? I don't think she's wired. I mean, without spoiling where we go forward, why would they then arrest her or tie her into those tickets she she gets out of that they could like arrest her to pretend that they're not but i just she's such a difficult woman I, I and even when she is in the house and the cop comes she tells him to shut up like in my opinion i just think most of the cast doesn't really like the cops so i would just assume she doesn't have any time yeah she lives to the code of America. yeah she's so a mob she would, wife yeah. she's probably not gonna i don't know i like your reach though it makes sense because outside the movie theater, it's like who who then is listening there? Yeah. Was that recorded though? I don't know if that. I think that, that was from Green Grove as well. 
No, there's that. The that's, movie theater. The movie, Thank you, Naya. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking about. That That's exactly it. How could she not have been wired? Or I thought, because if she's not wired, someone's wired. So I was like, maybe there's someone following them that's there picking it up. Like, that was the only there thing. There was I, a guy right behind them reading the Star Ledger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, really? Mm. I missed that. Who's reading the Star Ledger by themselves waiting for to enter a show in the wind? Because it's not Junior. Even though he has a lot of fear, yeah, he's old school. Yeah. You see him with the with the guy. Yeah, he gets saying, We're gonna get you. Yeah, yeah. He gets he's indicted. like he's like I'm not talking. But that's why it's either they did that and didn't think we would know, and remember that's where they had that conversation, or someone else was there listening to them outside the movies. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, I, I also thought maybe they dropped something in her pocket for that, but then how would they have retrieved it? I you know. know. Or she is wired, which blow. I can't even fathom. Ambiguity, right? Right, John? Yeah. Ambiguity. We don't know. We mm-hmm. can't say for sure that she wasn't. But that scene is a nod that it's totally possible, just like it's totally possible whatever happens in the series finale is possible, but you just don't know. It just ends. It yeah. just stops there. Okay, Melfi. I want to talk about Melfi real quick. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of ideas, and then we'll get back to the FBI tapes. Um, there's a word that Tony says to her, shrafts. I, I looked it up. It was like a chocolate candy and cake company in Massachusetts. So I don't, I don't remember him saying that exactly, but I looked, I saw, I saw that you, you had a little note on it. Yeah. So I wanted to follow up, but I don't know if that's what they're necessarily referring to. Do you have anything for us on borderline personality disorder? Any thoughts? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. Um, Read from the DSM. Honestly, in layman terms, I think the easiest way to think about it, it's, uh, borderline personality means you're on the border of psychosis and neurosis. And the way that I think about it, you, you're, you're um, on in between insanity and insecurity. Okay. When I think of Livia, I, I really don't even think of insecurity. I think of just straight up insanity. I, I don't, that was my I think question. She, like, do you think it's an accurate description or is it liberal? I think it's a pretty accurate description of her. The way well, that pretty conservative, I mean. Like I've uh, even read, is it a absolutely. charitable uh, diagnosis? Oh, by Soprano's autopsy. Yeah, uh, I think it was like a comment on yeah. there, but it, it was an appropriate word for it. Yeah. Like it was charitable. That, that she was way worse than what Melfi was describing. Yeah. What do you What do you guys? I think? think I well, going back to his borderline, I think that the way that Melfi was trying to express it was more about her inability to express love. And emotion. And that's really how she wanted to convey that to Tony because he's never going to get what he wants from his mother. And she wanted to really drive that home to him. And borderline personality is the perfect conduit to kind of explain that. Thoughts on his reaction? It made sense to me why he got so upset. Really? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't want to, I mean, he knows all these things in some subconscious, conscious way. So I just, was there any cultural component to his reaction? Protectiveness of the mother, like rage? Yeah, who wants to admit his mom? Like, yeah. Who wants to admit that? I thought it was interesting, though, Melfi, in this session, she recapped some stuff for us. Like, she um, she just went over a few things. I forget exactly what they are. But she was she, talking about like the, all the things babies that connected. being murdered yeah. and infanticide. All the stories she constantly talks about that she's preoccupied with. She tried yeah. to connect the dots for him a little, which was nice. And like, for the viewer. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, okay, thank you. It was exciting. Yeah. I, uh, it's a natural reaction and an expected reaction from Tony and breaking tables and spitting down uh, Melfi's mouth was... Uh, yeah, that was intense. Lots of saliva. <laughs> yeah. Is that common for therapists to sometimes 
help them get there. Like, you know how she said, well, your life's in danger, so I'm going to help you. Like, I'm going to say it I'm straight break to you. break protocol. Yeah. Is that... I would. At that point, it, I feel like it's an exchange between two humans. Yeah. And it's not a doctor-patient relationship, or, but who, who really knows? She's broken protocol with him on multiple occasions. In different ways. I don't know if this was the episode or if it was last episode where Tony and um, Dr. Melfi are in her car together. That was last episode, right? And he, they have a moment and she makes him cry and then he puts his hand on her cheek. That's protocol breaking, you know? But yeah. they're, they have a friendship. I think it's safe to say, right, guys, going into season two? I think there were extenuating circumstances in that moment. He yeah. just had an attempt on his life and... He he was somewhat fearful uh, for her safety, and I, I think there was a lot going on that isn't within the normal doctor-patient relationship and experience. Yeah. The way that he leaves the office the second time when he's coming back. Don't be stupid, even in the short term. Get the fuck out of town. You've been a good doctor to me. Thank you. I mean, he cares. He doesn't want anything. It was good of him to come. I well, mean, it really I think what you're trying to say is that he's just like dropping a bomb, destroying a lot. Like, yeah. And like, someone's going to go kill you. You should probably yeah. leave. By the way, yeah, thanks. You're for a good that. doctor. When he later goes back to check on her, there's a song. It's called El Gorito by a singer whose name I cannot pronounce, but I'll try it. Lucho Argain. It translates to the little hat. And so it made me wonder if there was any nexus between the two because the music is so intentional and the music there, it kind of like leads you to a place or segues you to a place. But I didn't get any satisfaction as to what it meant or why they picked that song. Uh, I can leave Melfi. Do you guys have any thoughts on Melfi, that dynamic, or can we move to the FBI tapes? I just like that she called it a long odyssey with your mother. I thought that was an interesting word choice. It's been a long odyssey with your mother, hasn't it? All these last 500 years just seem to race by. And he responds with 500 years. Is that a tie-in to Odyssey? The Odyssey's all about his journey home. Hmm. I don't know if that's a reach, but... The 500 years is actually a good... That's a good question. And we'll throw that back at the listeners. Because it's his immediate, like, deadpan response, which means they were both in on some sort of a cultural reference together Mm -hmm. that we clearly missed. Okay, FBI tapes. Ah, great memorable line. I understand you and Agent Grasso had an interesting colloquy about our uh, shared heritage. Cola who? (laughs) <laughs> it's so stupid, but the way that Tony says it makes it, like, time stops for a moment. Questions. Where do you guys think the wires were in Green Grove, and when did they do it? And this is assuming that Livia's not wired. Let's, let's exist in a universe for a minute where she's not wired. Where do you think the wires were? And then I have a deeper question. Is Green Grove in on it? Okay. Mm. And when did they do this? Answer one or any of those questions. I think that I think they would have to be in on it because there's so many. I mean, it's it's a hospital too. Like there's so many people. They can't sneak in and wire a nursing home. You know, yeah. like the, you know, wiring up someone's like, they house. They can't send electricians to come and fix a light. I guess light. maybe. I, yeah, I, I, I don't think, know what's capable. I, I don't know if Green Grove necessarily has to be in on it. I, I have an even bigger question. Why was that all they really got? From it, like that's that's where Tony had his copos go to have secret clandestine meetings. Why was that not uncovering bigger, Deals, yeah. yeah, bigger information that can indict them all? Well, well that I'm goes. Sh- I'm sure it was. They just haven't 
well, how come Tony wasn't implicated in anything? Nothing ever happened with him. It's smart. Well, that's because it goes back to the idea that Livia was wired for sound and not oh, Green Grove. Oh, my God. Because Tony's meetings with Larry Boy and all these other people were not in front of her. Oh, my goodness. I don't know where they would be then. I guess just her her room. So do you remember the scene a few episodes back? Um, Tony comes to Green Grove. He's got CDs in his hands. He wants to give them to his mother. And the head master or the director of the Green Grove, whatever she's called, she... I always wondered why she kind of had like a body language that was like kind of like intimidated, which is understandable because he's Tony Soprano. But she was also kind of like, I kind of know something that you don't know. That when we see in this episode that the place was wired for sound, it made me think that maybe she knew. What do you guys think of that? Did you pick up on that? I have to go back and look, but I may suggest to discontinue the lithium. <laughs> oh, hey, this one is not that reachy. If you look at her, she's like, oh, I got to take this phone call. Yeah. She's trying to get away from him. You got to look for like a lapel pin that looks conspicuous and, on her jacket or something. Or, or like a brooch on her, you know, one of those little pendants on her thing. Come on. Is she the head of Green Grove? Wasn't there a guy that was talking bad things? But that maybe he t- he's he works there too. Yeah, yeah, that the was that, that was next next that's, season. That's so there's future, there's a okay. main head of uh, Green Grove that, oh, okay. that okay. starts talking about stuff. I don't know. I would be afraid of Tony Soprano though too. Either way, why is Agent Harris okay? So so Tony goes in. He's sitting down. He's hearing the tapes. You see his face completely melt in front of you. Like, but he, but then he but then he builds himself back up together and puts on a brave face. But why is Agent Harris visibly grimacing during the playback of the tape? He appears to be suffering more than Tony. And we all think Agent Harris is a good guy. We all have our opinions on Agent Harris. But is there anything more to it than what I'm at? Like than that? Is there? Is there? Yeah, I think he just feels genuinely bad for a guy whose own mother would do this to him. Yeah, Frank Pellegrino. He's also the owner of Rayo's restaurant, and he died, sadly. I when? think you've mentioned that before, yeah. too, because you've eaten there? Yeah. When we went out to dinner the other I night. I took a photo with him. Oh. Really? It's kind of bittersweet. He's like the head of FBI in Sopranos. Is he is the restaurant here in L.A.? or is it? They have a Rayo's here now in L.A., but it's not as good as the one in New York. Of course not. I like Agent Harris. I think he also makes us not completely hate the FBI. They're such a strong character in the show that... For some reason, you you kind of want to understand them more in a way, and I don't know. I like him. I like I, I, I liked him. that moment. I, I felt I, I felt like, humanity. I felt yeah. like you wanted to go to like In and Out with Tony afterwards and like talk about like what it's like to find out that your mom is a a misanthrope. I feel like he also disagrees with his boss a lot, and maybe he didn't think wiring up a nursing home was the most appropriate thing to I like do. That. I like that. It was really dangerous by them too. I mean that it's a bit of a reach and a. Hail Mary for them to give that information to Tony, not knowing what he would do with it. Because yeah. if if suddenly Livia and Junior end up found dead somewhere, wouldn't you as the FBI feel somewhat responsible for connecting those dots? How did they even think to do that, you think? Because they just kept noticing people going there if they follow them or something? Everybody's they got a tail. And we see it throughout the series 
There's always a tail on one of them for whatever reason. The following the Livia was wired for sound question and that idea, I'm going to tie this into the conversation about Artie and Artie's moment in this episode. Do you guys think she was, if she was wired, do you think she was wired in the hospital when Artie came to see her and she tells him about the fire? The reason that I think she is wired, I'm there's multiple tells now, right? She's going on and on about how Tony was involved with the fire, which is basically her telling the FBI that Tony was involved with the fire. She's either trying to get Artie to corroborate it somehow, or she's just trying to like lay the foundation for Tony to get in more trouble. Are you seeing where I'm going with her being in on it now? A little bit. I, I just I, don't, I don't know, know. if I, I'm, I'm... She's not that smart. I'm part of that, yeah. Okay. She was more upset that the dish was from the North. What does that mean, well, by I, the way? It's like the North and the South, like even Furio, you'll meet him <laughs> later. Like the North think they're better than the South. Why? Is it a skin tone thing? It's a skin tone thing and just they're, you know... They think they're more educated, and the lower you get on the boot, they're like peasants, and the, the no North one cares. Are lighter. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I've got a deep dive on the obituary that she was reading before yeah. Artie walked in. Do it. Did so you good. see? Did you do a screen grab on that no, for the gram? No, I didn't. I they blocked you. off some stuff on that. Yeah. So yeah. there's. That's why I'm the Padawan and you're the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, several names are whited out, as Naya mentioned, and. Uh, Several stories are clearly printed on the paper and pasted on. And on the left-hand side, there's an obituary for Julie Ross. And it has like a fake story, which says Ross died from attempting to juggle too many items at once. <gasps> and I, I thought that was sort of telling for Livia's situation. That's crazy. So another artistic observation. Livia was in the bed in the hospital. Behind her are two paintings. They're shitty paintings. They're like things you can get from like TJ Maxx or whatever to like put in an office. But they both had images of boats and both of the boats were empty. And we have gone back and we learned from Soprano's autopsy the connection with the empty chair and the pool. To me, the painting represented just empty soul. The reason I bring it up is because the frame, the scene shows it multiple times. It's not just a throwaway thing for me, especially in light of the other paintings that we've mentioned. Did you guys notice that? Did you guys have any opinion on that? So all she says to Artie is that, you know, you don't blame him for starting the fire. Why was that enough to just tip Artie off the deep end? That was that was an insinuation. It wasn't a condemnation. I feel like he probably suspected that there was some sort of foul play. He didn't have any confirmation of it or any evidence at all, but just knowing who he is and who his collateral friends are, it, it might have been something weird going on there. And Tony offering to pay for it, it probably clicked in his head and it's, that's that's so all long? yeah and that's all that he really needed at the end is just Livia just to make some small little mention or reference and then he would just have everything that he'd need to kind of jump to a conclusion cuz correct me if i'm wrong he didn't take the insurance money cuz later he tells it ended up coming through oh it did come through yeah that's that's what he says in the previous scene with Carmela and Rosalie. Uh, Rosalie but i thought he told the priest father phil later he didn't take the money he decided not to contact the insurance agency to let about them what know. happened yeah. with tony got it okay cuz he's because, a yes man not a no man yeah a positive um, ion is there a circumstance under which or a scenario under which you think that he pulls the trigger on tony or was this just theatrics he to you? He doesn't have it in him. He's no. not that kind of guy. 
That's not Artie. We talked about this multiple times on this first season that Artie can get away with anything, right? He can throw gobble at Tony's face. And apparently putting pointing a gun at his <laughs> at his face is not enough. He, he takes it to the limit and there's no repercussions. So I, I think that theory holds true. Yeah. That's which is why I made me ponder, like, wow, he actually could get away with this. Cause Tony says, like, go ahead, I'm done. I don't care, just pull the trigger. Like this is ridiculous. He was resigned. He was like, look, if I'm gonna because we know how this thing ends, right? It either ends in the can or the other thing, right? And if it's gonna end in the other thing, you might as well have it be your friend. You know, rather than be behind someone from behind you, backstabbing. Well, that was his reaction when he thought that, because he says something to the effect of, oh, you took their money? Yeah. Like, he thought they paid Artie to kill him. Yeah. And then when he realizes it's because of this story, he changes his tune, and it's more of a survival method at that point for Tony. Swearing on his own mother and all that. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I'd say anything if I was looking at the barrel of a gun. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a the perfect irony because he would swear on her. He wants her to be dead, so it's actually fine. But my, my next question was, and I've, I've encountered these personal and in interpersonal relationships where it's like swearing your kids. And if that could have been a logical thing. Like, okay, I don't, you, you, you're on the outs with your mother swearing your kids. Does Tony swear on his kids if Artie goes there? I know John's answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's a tough one. I think the choice of saying I swore on my mother is is spot on. That's yeah. that's right From where he goes. From a writing standpoint, it's brilliant. Yeah. But the next logical thing is is like you know test this guy for a minute here. You know, yeah. like see see where, if he's really telling the truth. Yeah, I don't I I don't I don't think he does. I think he tries to uh, to find another way to kind of sneak out of saying he something like that. Kids, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he does. Um, and I think in a parallel universe. That's why it made me think, like, well, does Artie pull the trigger if he doesn't swear on his kids? Tony and Carmela had a nice moment on the bed, too. I loved that moment. It's a great moment, yeah. right? It's a great moment for her. And uh, the, the great line, probably, of the episode. Uncle June and I, we had our problems with the business. But I never should have asked him about eating pussy. This whole war could have been averted. Cunnilingus and psychiatry brought us to this. Let's move on to the retaliation. Retaliation is kind of this loose term for the three people die in this show. Talk to me about the logic and strategy of doing Junior's minions first. In other words, why didn't Tony kill Junior, lop off the, the head of the dragon, Drogon, whatever the main <laughs> dragon is? Why don't you just go for the main dragon? Why are you killing the minions first? Rogue What's game. the logic? I think it was just Rago. opportunity. Opportunity. They knew that Mikey was, was out jogging. They got to Chucky because they knew that he was out in a boat and Tony can sneak sneak a gun in a fish. Well, he said he needed. To, well, he he also said we need to get Chucky out of the way first so there's no uh, retaliation. But maybe that's the strategy. I don't know. That I, I thought I they just, anticipated that Chucky was going to be the one that would finish the hit, and if they could make him disappear, there'd be no suspicion. Versus if they kill Mikey, then maybe Chucky's really out to try to find Tony and you know have retribution okay. on the crew. I like that. You got to kill the lower levels before you go for the main boss. And because Junior doesn't want to implicate himself in a murder, so sure. yeah. And they're probably not too fearful of Junior being the person that's going to active gun act exactly. Chris says the word minkia or minchia. Anybody know what that means? No, that word I tried to figure out. I didn't, <laughs> okay. I didn't. Carmela calls Livia a peculiar duck to Tony. Was that subconscious or was that intentional? 
Does she understand the ducks in the way that we understand them as viewers? Is that even a colloquy? Or a colloquy? Yeah, I thought it'd be like a bird would just be like, she's a particular bird. They're a strange she's an bird. odd strange bird. Strange bird. Yeah. But they uh, use duck on purpose. Is peculiar think, duck, that's a, is that a phrase? I've never heard of I've it. I've never heard it either. I've heard ugly duckling. Uh, of course. A peculiar, I think you can say a peculiar duck, but I think it is, you know, bird man. I think he's a very, ducks are around. Here's a little comment, question, observation. Notice the name of the boat that Chucky's on. It's called Villain 3. So my theory is that 3 is intentional, right? Three guys get clipped in this episode. Okay, these are reaches, but I'm I'm trying to prove that there's like this logic and relevance to it. Jimmy gets clipped, Chucky gets clipped, and Mikey gets clipped. If you take their last names and you rearrange them, it's PSA, okay? Public service announcement to the... How'd you even think of that? FBI... I have a PSA for the listeners. This is what uh, Vic Reach is. (laughs) So PSA, because here's my logic, right? Right after the three people are whacked, the feds break down all the doors and you get Junior arrested. So that was a PSA to the feds (laughs) that you now have your guy and you can lock it off. Okay? We'll see. We'll see how this plays out. So you're telling me you think David Chase had... (laughs) Villain 3 embroidered on the boat to send us a message? A- absolutely. Villain, most boats are named after beautiful women. Yeah. Okay? That was Bellissima. a strange Not, not yeah. Tony's. That boat, well, Stugats, you know. What but is, there was Stugats, Stugats 1, Stugats, Stugats, Stugats 2. Stugats balls. 3. Family dinner. Tony says a line. This is the dinner where Chris, uh, Junior's actually in, in attendance. Livia's in attendance. Livia's playing dumb about Artie, Artie who, Artie what. Tony says a line about, or somebody's nose would get out of joint, and he looks directly at Junior. I did not understand that for the life of me, and I could not find anything on the internet about it. So do you guys have any opinions or thoughts? Or Okay, I'll leave it for now. I'll throw it to the listeners. What does that line mean? If you know, please DM or please comment. Family dinner two, Livia says, I don't have to admit anything when asked something innocuous about Green Grove. The way she says it was almost, it has a new meaning now uh, that I believe that she's wired up. And I guess there's no question because you guys are not in the same camp as me. But again, all of the breadcrumbs that have been left in this episode, whether or not it pans out, whether or not it's a red herring or not, this is a classic device of David Chase and his team of setting you up and then just leaving, like making you go all the way down on a road that you think is like going to lead you to a pot of gold, but actually is a cul-de-sac with a bunch of like suburban houses at the end, you know, with the manicured lawns. Circumstantial evidence. Yeah. Mikey, I counted... Because that's what I do. How many clips did Mikey get? Did anybody actually get a number? I got a number. You got a number? You, you tell me your number no, first. You, you go first. No, no, you go first. Well, my number ties into something that I found. I counted 17. So I counted 20 to 21. I counted 20. Now, before he runs away from the two. house. I love you. Yeah. When he leaves the house to go running, the address on his house is 21. <gasps> John Reach? No! You just you just segued. Did you read my secret notes? Did you get access to my secret notes? I have yeah. access to all things secret. So we have Vic Reaches and Vic Secret. The address, the address to Mikey Palmisi's house, the real address is 21 Ferndale Road, North Caldwell. Yep. It's a real place. 21. So if you want to go back there and you want to check it out, it's 21 Ferndale Road. Then and you I, counted 20. Then I, but I knew there was more. I knew I felt there was I more knew than there 17. Was, I knew there was more than 20. I got to 20 and then it, it did like a thing. And I was like, it oh. It echoed. Yeah. The, so that's why I stopped I at 17 tell. is because I thought they were just echoes and I wanted to see if I could be accurate. But wow, okay, that's perfect. I was looking like for some sort of correlation because of your question. Um, and then it just was plain sight on the address. This next question, I don't know if it necessarily applies anymore because no one believes me. 
But with the Federess <laughs> at the end of this, was it a direct result of the tapes? In other words, did Livia bring down Junior inadvertently? Well, if it was inadvertently, on your assumption, she's in on it. Yeah. So then it would be, be advertently. <laughs> it, was adver- it was advertently is what I'm saying. I'm thinking, because okay. she's smiling when she has the stroke, right? Even Tony says, you. look. She's smiling. Look at the look on her face. Come look at the look on her face. She's smiling. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Look at her face. She got a fucking smile on her face. All right, it's enough. She faked the stroke, man. Tony's Is it a convinced. smile, though? Yeah. There's a lot of internet discussion about whether... I mean, can, how could you see the smile with the mask? It looks there? like a smile. Doesn't that happen with your face when you get a stroke? Thank though? you. But I like Carmel, the contrasting Yeah, Com- Carmela, though, when she's talking to Tony, does say she does not believe Olivia is... She thinks she's faking everything. Yeah. Which maybe because she just can't stand her nonsense, but... She's 100% certain she's lying. Well, Carmela's the only one that calls Livia out in, yeah. in the earlier episodes. Yeah. When she's taking her out to uh, to lunch and says, oh, I need to talk about my problems with you. So she's the only one that sees her for who she really is from the get-go, outside of maybe Melfi. So maybe she's she does have a point. She's the only one that really sees through her, so might as well keep believing her. When Junior's arrested, we hear on the TV screen, Tony's like trying to play play it cool, like, oh, poor uncle. But we hear that a guy named Joey Sasso is the alleged underboss of this family. And my first reaction was, what the fuck? Like, isn't Tony the underboss? He is. We know that. But why is it that he's so insulated from the feds that they don't think that he's the underboss, that this guy named Joey Sasso is? Did that make sense to anybody here? Or like, is there an, is there an explanation yeah, to that? Yeah, I, I didn't get it. And Maybe my my memory's failing me on the picture of the organizational chart. Yeah, but I think Tony was wasn't he listed as still a capo or was he? Listed he was as listed as capo in the episode. Yeah. I think it's Metalins. Yeah, I don't think he's ever given the designation of of underboss, but even he though he's now. kind of the de facto underboss. Yeah. I don't know if he's he really truly has that label on him. Okay, it's interesting though. That was the news story, right? That was mm-hmm. the news because reporters. when Junior's interrogated fake news. by <laughs> fake news. <laughs> When Junior talks to the FBI agent, they lay it out on the table and say, we know that Tony was in charge. Yeah. So and we yeah. want Johnny Sack, which I had never noticed until this podcast mm-hmm. is that Johnny, they, they, want, they don't care about New Jersey. They really, they want to take down New York and they want to use New Jersey as their gateway drug to get to New York. Random thing? Yeah. I've noticed Tony now owns three bathrobes, a white one, a red one, and in this episode, it's like a striped one. The Bauhaus Tony. Yes. Yes. Just which thought I that love. was interesting. It's my favorite robe of Tony's. <laughs> I want that robe. By the way, if, the we can, if we can source that robe, that's the Pot of Bing uniform. So Joey Sasso was actually one of the people named in the indictments that we see getting okay. getting locked up. He has the shortest screen time. He's the only person that you don't recognize. He's doing a perp walk. Because it's, well, no, he's he's getting a, a knock on his door and he's opening it up. Yeah. Because um, it's Larry Barisi, Joey Sasso, who apparently is is the underboss, like you said, and Junior. Yeah. I liked the handheld camera for that moment. Good observation. It, it just kind of felt like you were coming into the door with them. And you got to see the outside or the exterior of Junior Soprano's house, which we've never seen before. That's true. So it was a very modest home, I might say, for the boss compared to Tony, which didn't equate for me. But I, I let that be because, it's, you know, it's a, it's a small oversight. But he's an old guy, too. He probably doesn't want to move. Yeah. You know, well, that's like the... old school versus new school. Yeah. That's also like the... That's true. Oral sex therapy, that's new school. In old school, they live in their little house. They don't do anything. It's just very different. Yeah, it's a good observation. 
Tony tells Livia that he has one more last detail to take care of. This was actually a listener question. If Tony tells Livia that he has one more last detail to take care of, what is the last detail? Junior. Junior's the last detail. He's taking out Mikey, taking out Chucky. But he says it after Junior's been arrested. He goes to Livia. Hmm. He says, he fluffs the pillow, right? And then he, that's why I'm asking. Because yeah, I you still all, think that that's, still think that's still the last I'm detail. You. I'm with you, okay. I agree. It makes too. sense. I was just wondering if there was anything else that. Like, and we, and why would he say that to her? Obviously, to make her feel uneasy, and that's the person that she's been closest with since the start of the series. The only person that she, I mean, quote unquote, cares about even in the slightest, outside of the grandchildren. I think she has a soft spot for Meadow and and AJ. Satimia, and and uh, the Facha Bruta, but yeah, I think it's got to be Junior because that's the only person that she's shown any sort of bond with and that's what Tony kind of throws in her face. Is Junior's arrest actually a good thing for Tony? Does it save him in a way? Because here's my thing, right? He's going to kill Junior, but if he kills Junior, doesn't that make him the de facto head? Yeah. It's kind of an abstract question, but... No, that's a... That's a a really good point. I I think it is because Junior is still the target because he's under indictment, but he hasn't been convicted. So the trial and all of the government's money and resources are devoted to locking Junior up. Or getting him to flip. Or getting him to flip, which doesn't make sense to me because what are you really trying to do there? You're trying to lock up junior because he's the boss or are you trying to get him to flip you like, want him what's to the flip end game so he can get, they want information they don't want him to be sitting in jail and collecting wasting taxpayer dollars but isn't the goal to take out the guy at the top what's the point what's the point of locking anybody up if you're just going to keep trying to get information to go down the ladder then and then he's he doesn't have to meet any consequences well, like one of you just said moments ago, like they know that he's not at the top. They know that he's like a sitting duck who's poised to take the hits. Mm. And they want to know maybe he has some insider information about Johnny Sack, which he doesn't because they're having meetings without him at yeah. Green Grove. Yeah. So, but the FBI, does, well, the FBI actually should know that. But maybe if I'm, if I'm approaching it from the FBI's point of view, I want to find a way to work with this guy. I want him to be useful to me rather than just like sitting and eating three square meals a day. And like working out at the, at the prison gym, let's make him useful. Let's make him have some utility. Final topic of the night before we wrap the season one up is Tony confesses to the guys. He confesses that he is in therapy. I need to tell you something. And I want you to hear from me, not from some asshole on the street. About four or five months ago, I started seeing a psychiatrist. A couple of things. We talked about this once before already. Silvio's super tentative about the conversation, almost uncomfortable, almost like, you know, that feeling you have when you're like constipated for a really long time and then all of a sudden you have to go to the bathroom, but you can't. That's the kind of feeling that he had. What? (laughs) (laughs) Did not think that was what you were going to compare it to, but okay. No, but it's just like, I have to go to the bathroom, but I can't right now. Like I have to like say something. I want to say something to you guys, but I can't. I'm feeling tentative about this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So here, let me, let me go back. Let me keep it out of the bathroom. We'll keep it out of the, the, yeah. Is he, is he in therapy all along? Does he say it without saying it here to you guys? Because Polly admits it. I don't think so. I, I think he was so. at the dentist. You think he was at the dentist. Paulie admits that he was in therapy. Why isn't that a bigger deal than it is? He gets away. He slips it under the, under the rug. It's not the worst thing I ever heard. I was seeing a therapist myself about a year ago. 
I had some issues. Enough said. I learned some coping skills. Why does it die on the vine right there? Have you met Polly? <laughs> like he probably needs it more than anyone yeah, else. I, I think everybody in every family there would just encourage him to <laughs> go get, go see somebody. Finally, Christopher just storms out and leaves. What's with that? He, he talks about marriage counseling, and then he just has like, <laughs> he just like impulsively walks out of the room. He holds Tony in such high esteem. Hearing yeah. about his his role model, his hero, having these types of flaws, I think just causes some cognitive dissonance for him, and then he just can't compute. He just yeah. has to storm out. I like that. I had that, and then because he remembers the conversation that he and Tony had about depression, and he directly kind of knocks therapy. He says, I'm no mental midget. So I think he's recounting that conversation and maybe considering that he may be in trouble for having those opinions about Tony. I had the same, and also that maybe he lied to him in some of those conversations because he never confessed anything about how he feels to to Chrissy. And he kind of just feels like, you know, overwhelmed in general that his hero is weak in some way and dealing with stuff, but also probably all the conversations he's confessing him about his stuff, like in that ride, Tony never said anything about himself dealing with anything. So I think maybe he's just so to leave. That's what what I would have done. I could see it a little bit of both. Yeah. This topic of uh, keeping this from his friends, I think this is right up there with uh, going down on a woman. It's this perceived judgment that when it's revealed, it's really not that big of a deal, at least to his closest confidants. And all of this concern that he had, I think, was exacerbated by himself. Totally. Because they seem to handle it like, hey, man, we love you just the same. They handle it because it's in their best interest because they're about to come up big if Tony's the boss because it's his crew. Paychecks. But look look at every single other person in the series once they kind of find out about it. They make a, it's a pretty big deal. Nobody really takes it lightly. It's only until Tony becomes the the big boss at the top. That's when it's like, okay, I guess it's not so much of a big deal because if you make a big deal out of it, you're done. Silvio says that to Paulie at Vesuvio's when they're having dinner. Wait a minute, this bothers you? You saw a fucking psychiatrist. Not a woman. I can't get past that. It don't compute for me. You're the one with the fucking issues. Woman issues. I don't even want to fucking go there. Oh, let's not. Hey, regardless, I said my piece. What are you getting at, Paulie? <sighs> Nothing. Look, he's going to be the new boss now. In name, in everything. Wish him bona fortuna. And they're right, yeah. And he's, and he's 100% right. Do they know at that point that Junior and Livia are trying to had tried to kill him? Because yeah, I, think yes, I think with so. that, like, we can't knock this guy down. No, no, no. He, he, I remember. don't think anybody really knows that. I think there's there's some rumor and speculation that goes on, but those FBI tapes weren't played for anybody else in the crew. I think the only person that, that knows about it outside of Tony directly is Carmela because they, they discuss it. But I don't think Silvio or Polly know that Livia tried to kill him directly. I think there's there's room and speculation, but Tony sure as hell didn't say it. Yeah. I have a shout out to another Sopranos podcast that uh, listed something that nobody else here did, and I thought I'd mention it because it was a good connection. Tony comes back from the FBI tapes and mentions 
all of this information, and then he says that his ear hurts. Yeah, And they made the implication that it was a double entendre of his ear hurts from getting all that information about his family trying to kill him. Ah, my my that. read on that when I heard him say that because I did pay attention to that line is that he's basically telling his guys that his ear hurts, meaning go get my revenge now. My ear still hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, but that what you said is actually awesome. Shout out to which one was it? The was Soprano it? Show. Soprano Show. Yeah, that was a good one. So yeah, we were talking about Silvio and Polly at dinner at Vesuvio before the whole thing ends. Uh, Silvio calls Polly out for having woman issues. What kind of woman issues does Polly have? He's just a sexist asshole. Yeah. I mean, he, he obviously has OCD. He's a clean freak. And he says he went to therapy for coping things. So maybe he's got aggressive or just can't deal with someone who annoys him more than a maybe minute. Maybe he needed a Brogan adjustment. <laughs> Some miscellaneous questions, guys. Mm-hmm. Who's the Dominican kissing Med? Where'd he come from? Santiago <laughs> Douglas is an actor known for Girl Fight in 2000, Third Watch in 1999, and The South Side in 2015. I thought it was interesting to see that Meadow has a type and it's not an Italian guy because yeah, we meet some of her future that. boyfriends too and there nice. couldn't be further from an Italian Absolutely. person. Absolutely. Until one. Yeah. But yeah, still, no, she, she that, tries to yeah. go off the reservation on purpose. Prince really. Fabian, I forgot about it. It's a reference to Jackie Jr. My favorite character of all time. Not Meadow makes a Georgia O'Keeffe reference that completely flew over my head. Really? Yeah, I thought it was all your art acumen. Yeah, I, I, Do you know I, this one? She does all the cunnilingus <laughs> art. <laughs> it's no, flowers does, that yeah. look like vaginas. vaginas. And in that scene of the marsupials, the 1987 movie, there's that. It kind of reminded me of Stranger Things. It's that same <laughs> monster. The, 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 the face like opens like petals. Venus flytrap. Yeah. If the audience could see my hands imitating. <laughs> I think so John might He's doing the flower vagina hand coping thing mechanisms. Right so now. I swear on my mother that I didn't know that. Do you swear on your kids? But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you swear on your kids? <laughs> so I don't know anything about art. I'm not going to pretend like I do. I only know who Georgia O'Keeffe is because they reference it in Breaking Bad where uh, Jesse Pinkman's girlfriend, yeah. the one that, uh, you know, dies, yeah. takes him to go see dies art that looks like vaginas. Yeah. That's a good. God. So you, what David you did Chase. for me inadvertently was just validate my whole thesis on. No, I did it inadvertently. The, the art frame, <laughs> the, every every frame, every still frame, Naya, that you see in the show is a throwback to art. And the Paul Cezanne painting, I urge you to go back and look at it. I urge the listeners to go back and look at his still life paintings and tell me that Jimmy Altieri is not the first thing you think of when you see his paintings. <laughs> I, um, I just watched Blow. The uh-huh. movie Blow on is on HBO with Johnny Depp. It's a good and he one. says it's pure as the driven snow. This is grade A cocaine or whatever. Pure as the driven snow, like you will get a Vic reach. I'm about to throw uh, Hakeem Olajuwon dream shake on David Robinson. <laughs> I was waiting Vic for your basketball you. reference. Okay, I'm about to just throw it okay. down here. I'm going to finish the dream shake uh, analogy. The dream shake is... I think you might need... Uh, I need to freshen up a little yeah. bit. Okay, so Artie... Is this in my notes, guys? Do you see this, what I'm looking at right now? The thing about Artie? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we see Artie in the back when everybody's at Vesuvio. He's still mad about Tony. There's no closure there. It's not, it's the, he lets him in. But Artie, we see him, the camera, it shifts to him stirring the sauce. Okay. Are you with me, Naya? Yes. Okay. So it's a throwaway scene, right? Yeah, of course. Artie's stirring sauce. And we've seen this before. 
something that leads to something else. We see this all the way into mm-hmm. the series finale, something yeah. that could lead to something else. Yeah. And so my thesis, my theory, and my hypothesis is that it could mean something. It could mean that he's poisoning the pasta. It could also mean that he's not poisoning the pasta. It could mean that he's just stirring fucking pasta. Okay? When you see him come out, they have the pastas. They deliver. The pastas that he was stirring are put on the table that Tony Soprano's sitting at. Okay? It could mean that he's trying to kill him on the spot. It could mean that he's not. And my whole thing for you guys is that, is it ordinary pasta or is it a weapon? The ambiguity never ceases. All right. Okay? Well... Let's just first big reach. Let okay. Me get that out of the way. Curious <laughs> no. But but if <laughs> I think it's David Chase stirring the pot and setting the table for the rest of the series. And I disagree. I think okay, uh, fuck you then. <laughs> he he wrapped this season up as if we didn't need anything more. Yeah. And if he we can say that he ends the entire series in an ambiguous way. Imagine if this was the last episode and that was the last scene. That would be the members only jacket. That, yeah. that would be the overlying discussion of was the pasta poisoned? Yeah, but then he wouldn't have served it to everyone. I don't think uh, that was even oh, ambiguous. He no, just, you just said a beautiful thing because remember he sits down with Father Phil. I don't just hate this man, I hate all men. I hate life. Maybe he wanted to kill. All those motherfuckers. But here, I mean, that was a Cersei Lannister moment. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was. Or do you see how we're just weaving this together? Dude, we are that going was deep. already Buko's Cersei Lannister moment. <laughs> but people say stir the pot, right? That's a th- thing mm-hmm. to start drama. But also the reason why you not all sauces, but the reason why you stir it was a red sauce, correct? Mm-hmm. Is because tomatoes have sugar in it, so it caramelizes fast, so it sticks to the bottom, and then it burns. So you can actually, like, you burn the sauce if you don't stir it enough. But I think it was, yes, we've, we've, he definitely finished the season, but there's more stuff happening, and that's why he served it to who he served it to. Like, there's still shit that's going to happen yeah, to he's, you. He's, he's stirring the pot yeah. and he's setting the table, and now we get to enjoy. But there was no cliffhanger. No, well, there was, was not there was over. A lot, there was a lot to be... A lot of ambiguity. There's still a lot, a lot of going ambiguity. on. Though. There's still a There's lot still going a lot of on. Drama. Junior and Livia are both still alive, and those are his two foes. So his foes aren't haven't been waxed yet. And you just gave me a James Harden reference, which is stirring the pot. Okay, this is what a basketball <laughs> player does. And then the other thing that Naya just hit on the head for me uh, to go back to Game of Thrones is you said it's a red sauce. This was Artie Buco's red wedding. Yeah. It's going to wax geez. all those fools. He's okay. also just a good chef, so he knows yeah. that he has to stir his sauce. But my thing is, why does the camera show it? You know, I why think, does the yeah. camera do that? It's it's the beauty. I think it's the dance. Just... We're having a dance with this show, and they're just showing you parts of the frame and parts of the frame you don't see, and it's giving us this fodder. There's to talk just about. a big focus on food in the show. It's just a cup of coffee. But also, Artie, <laughs> Artie's so angry, and still he's gonna stir the sauce. Like, he doesn't have to, to try so hard. The lights are off. I don't think he was still, even angry. He, I think he's this that, all he's got. He's got just a that was fucking a, That sauce. was a moment where everything just kind of came together. All past issues were absolved. Like, Charmaine and Carmella, Tony and Artie, Charmaine and Tony. I, th- I think everybody was just like, okay, you know what? It's raining outside. You have your family. Come... Come inside. We'll feed you. Forget mm-hmm. everything else. Let's take care of you. You know, we're all a family together. Thoughts? 
on season one and this episode. A few things that I liked from this episode was with Father Phil, some of the scenes with Father Phil and Rosalie April. I thought it was interesting how much Father Phil was in this episode for some reason. And I liked the tension between Carmela. Like out of everything that's going on, she's that upset that she has to throw out the pasta. Oh, she just waste. she keeps the Tupperware, mm-hmm. but she's gonna throw it out. I don't know. I really I, I don't I didn't fully understand what Father Phil means in some weird way and why. Talk about Carmela's monologue to him at the end. Like, do you buy what she's saying? Oh, is, yeah, is she dead I love, on? I love that. It's funny that she can confront him, but she can't she doesn't she defends Tony in some way. Like he's he's a bad guy too, but she loves him because he payrolls her life. So Yeah. I also think it's interesting we learned that she does not like Renee Zellweger. She's not a Renee Zellweger fan. Come on. Who doesn't? But I mean, You had me at hello. Season one's one of my favorite seasons, so <laughs> I, I'm, there's not many mistakes in it for me. No. There's this thought, this idea that I had about it. It's like they mastered the balance between the alchemy of crowd-pleasing and substance. Yes. They have, you get all the crowd-pleasers, all the F-bombs, all the drama, all the sex, all the violence, but there's so much substance. And it's all, the seeds have been planted, and we go back to season one all the time in the upcoming seasons. So I also think it's cool we see Adriana starts working at Vesuvio's. That's, I thought was nice to see. Charmaine loves her at first. Girls whip smart. Mm-hmm. She's going to be a music manager. Watching this series probably countless times, you you gain a sense of who Tony is, and he's the the really prototypical anti-hero. And, you know, he's somewhat of a, he has sociopathic tendencies, and you see that throughout the show. But really sitting through and analyzing this first season in particular, he hasn't crossed, he hasn't jumped the shark on, on the anti-hero yet. He hasn't really crossed that threshold. He's still has some sort of moral high ground in the show. He doesn't do anything, you know, he only attacks people who are in that lifestyle. He doesn't go after any civilians. The only one that he was thinking about going after was someone who's a, you can make the case that he's a pedophile or or he's at least in the eyes of the law he is. He doesn't really take that leap as a bad person in in the show's context, at least, we we know that he does a little bit later on. So he still has that that moral integrity. And in this in this last episode, you know, he he cleans house, and that's all about his rise to the top. And it's setting up for him to be the one that calls the shots. And I, it makes you really excited. Okay, now now he's fully in the driver's seat. All of his foes, or at least all of the foes that you know, have the authority over him or gone. So he, you know, it just makes you wonder, okay, now that he's in the driver's seat and he has that power, what is he going to do with it? And who's he going to become? And that's the question that remains. And that's what makes you want more and to watch the the next season. For sure. John? The, the one thing that I wanted to mention before I just do my final thing was uh, the toast that Tony does at the end when they're at Vesuvio's. Mm-hmm. And he gets distracted by the sound of a tree falling outside. Perhaps a metaphor to Tony's broken family as his uncle and mother have attempted to kill him. Yeah, the tree for me had a lot of meaning. I didn't know what it was. And Soprano's autopsy alluded to the tree as well. The fact that there was a tree blocking them from 
their getaway almost. It was a weird thing, but it's uh, you brought wind to the forefront and stormy weather, yeah. you know, to quote Etta James. Don't know why There's no sun up in the sky Stormy weather The storm is just beginning for Tony, if that makes sense. We're ending season one on a stormy night. Sauce. When we first started this podcast, there was a lot of emphasis on themes, and I went back to that to try to have some overall encompassing theme. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's trust. And that's really throughout the entire first season is the trust that he needs from his family, from his friends, from the mob, from Melfi. And it's that balance of breaking that trust or proving that trust that seems to resonate for me. Great. Love it. Yeah, absolutely right. Trust is the one word that's threading all of it together. I just um, I just thought it was interesting. The last song that plays in this episode is a Bruce Springsteen song, and it's called State Trooper, mm -hmm. and the lyrics are way too relevant to the whole show to me. I love that he ended with the boss. Mm -hmm. And to quote Sopranos mm. Autopsy, it was just perfect. The boss. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, Stephen Van Zandt greased the wheels for that? Of course. Oh, definitely. He got the licensing, he got the friends and family discount on the licensing deal the for that song, man. Come on. Vic, your thoughts? Yeah, so my final thoughts on this are a couple of things. We'll just rewind a little bit. One, one thing, I, we were talking about music. When Father Phil joins Carmela and Rosalie for lunch at uh, Artie's new restaurant, I've Got You Under My Skin is playing. It's a song by Frankie Valli, and uh, Frank Sinatra made it even more famous. But it's just a funny, like, Father Phil, you get, he gets under your skin. So that was one thing I wanted to say about music. But final thoughts about the episode is that the season ends with Tony putting away all of his foes and adversaries, at least on paper. And it has set the precedent for future seasons, but we don't know if there's going to be a season two or if it's going to, how far it's going to go. So David Chase, in my opinion, did wrap up the show with a bow. He did it very tastefully and it could have been by itself a 10 hour movie. Okay. And the show could have been over and we would have never known. And already could have been, like you said, it could have been the members only. Right. But it did set the precedent for future seasons. And what I mean by that is the looming question always lingers from season to season, from season finale to season finale, he will always face similar, ongoing, relentless adversaries. And the question we will always ask ourselves is, was he successful in stymieing his foes? And this is what well, I will never have satisfaction with, but that's the whole essence of the show. And it started in episode 13 mm. of season one, you know, because there is no certainty. We know everything, but if you watch it in a microcosm of it being yeah. by itself is Artie a killer? You know, <laughs> is that the, is that the oh, red wedding? I'm waiting for the I internet recut of like making Artie look Jean like it's some horror movie. Yeah, or well, he said it's set up beautifully, and you and you contrast it with the stained glass of the Bada Bing, and then you cut to the stained glass of a church where he's telling a priest that he hates <laughs> mankind, I, and then he points <laughs> a rifle at Tony Soprano, <laughs> and then he stirs sauce, and he has a little grimace in his face, like this is it. I love uh, that your takeaway yeah. from season one is the ultimate victory. <laughs> <laughs> that that, that Artie hates Artie's himself. Trying to poison everybody with his sauce. <laughs> Misanthrope, man. I'm telling you, it's not crazy. So those are my thoughts. Um, I want to make an announcement. I want to congratulate Justin. He's taking a new position. Yeah. Um, and he's going to be moving <laughs> to a new state. 
So this is not goodbye, but this is a congratulations. Thank and you, thank you. Um, we're going to try and incorporate you into the show as much as we can going forward. This is a tree in Potabing's history. This is the proverbial oak tree falling in front of our, our finale, but we will miss you. Bella uh, Fortuna. Bona Fortuna. Thank but you. this has been real. At a minimum, we talked about it off yeah. mic. We're going to find a way to have like a monthly reach out yeah. to you. And maybe we can like bank a bunch of questions. Yeah. And then we can do that. Just in this uh, podcast thing of ours, the way that it's going, it'd be better if we could admit to each other these painful, stressful times. But it'll never fucking happen. I, if it's okay with everybody, I'll leave this by quoting Tony Soprano. Someday soon, you're going to have families of your own. And if you're lucky, you remember the little moments, like this. That were good. <laughs>